Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 232. And I am going to begin to make it a little easier for people that are going to go back and look for things to just do single topic podcast instead of answering two or three or four listener questions I'm going to just take one at a time even if it makes a shorter podcast because it's easier then to go back and look up something and not have to you know wait 25 minutes to go find the one that you wanted to hear about so I'm going to start doing things that way when I do answer the questions or if I just have a topic that I feel is important so that's what I'm going to do now and it's February as this is being recorded And so the question is sort of relevant because it was asked by a pretty experienced dog person who said, who has dogs that are trained Finnish dogs, right? They're trained, they do all the stuff. And he, you know, he's going to be going to the national and all that. And how do you keep the dogs uh, game day ready, test ready? What can you do when you're a little far off, you know, and it's not quite time yet and you're doing all this training? How do you get them there? And then how do you keep them there? I thought that was a very good question, and and probably a lot of people have something along those lines. But I'm going to give, because I thought about it, thought about it, and I I thought, you know, that is an important topic for people who are, have dogs that are fairly trained. Even if you're on your way to being up the finished fancy kind of, you know, going to the national or whatever, how do you um, maintain your investment of time and energy and birds and driving and all the stuff in your dog so that when it when it is game day whenever that is you're ready so good topic and I'm going to do like I often do in these things I'm going to go back to the athletic thing because a lot of people can relate to that and it's a good analogy because it when you start talking about dog work it's it's a little harder to explain but if somebody is going to be um, competing in the Olympics in a sport they don't care skiing um running, tennis, speed skating, whatever it is, they have game day readiness. And that is as they are going into game day, the Olympic Games, right? As they do not spend their time in training in the year before that or the six months before that at game day level. They do not do that because to go, if you're going to do a big thing or you just want to be ready for the higher level tests in whatever it is you do, if you want to be ready for that stuff, you have to have a certain minimum uh, skill level practiced and present. When you get ready for game day, one of my favorite things in the world to do, both as a person in athletic stuff (laughs) or Uh, in the dog stuff is you have to understand where you're coming from and where you need to get on game day and how do you optimize that stuff. So that's kind of two different topics. But I want to talk about uh, just the fundamentals. For people who have been listening to me for any period of time, it was, I believe, three years ago that I went, I wanted to run an Ironman, a full Ironman. And so I did a, a smart thing. I got one of the best coaches that there is, um, doesn't live anywhere near me. I got that coach and I said, I've never done a full iron man. I don't know. Can I? And so he said, all right, yeah, let's see. And so he gave me the, uh, every two weeks I got the training program, you know, feedback and stuff like that. Anyway, Ironmans are huge, right? It's 140 miles total that your body is shoving you through. And I never, uh, 
I never got a a big old bunch of work. I never went out and practiced running a, a, an Ironman ever. Instead, it was interesting as we built through the year, you know, that we started with like little stuff. <laughs> it was like, well, this is this is boring. <laughs> you got to go out and, and you got to run and hold your heart rate at the same rate for an hour or something. I was like, well, that's not fun. And what does this have to do with that stuff? And then you'd have to do other things that were kind of, you know, weird. It's like, but this isn't the race. This isn't the, what it is. But I got the best coach, right? So I'm going to shut up and do what he said. So when I did, let's see, it was seven, six or seven months later, I ran an Ironman and qualified for the world championships. And I went to those. So then he got me ready for that. Same thing. Same thing. We're doing this kind of weird, different stuff. It wasn't like game day at all. And I learned a lot from that. And I thought, you know, this is very similar to what we do in high, really competitive dog stuff. And that is you build the basics up so soundly and so strongly. And you have those. You don't have, you're not game day. You're not ready to go do your 140 mile race at top speed and all, you know, all day long. But all of your basics are there and you begin to strengthen them and build them and practice them and install them thoroughly and continue. So how do you do that in our dog world? Because I don't care when your game day is, whether it's in April or September or November or whenever it is, you know, how do you build up the dog basic stuff? So we have uh, for this podcast, we have retriever stuff. And we have also upland. Some don't have upland, some do. So one, that's a balancing act. Again, I've said this a million times, of two conflicting things. Get it, get it, get it, and don't get it. So you have to be aware of that. If a lot of people, if they really like upland, you can always tell. You know, when they really like upland, their dogs are, they do it, you know, every week, couple times a week, always on a weekend when people are over, because that's the fun part. And then the rest of the time they do their retriever stuff, or vice versa. You get people that love marks and blinds, really like technical blinds, really working on all that stuff. And and then, oh yeah, we got to do uplands, so let's put some birds out and let's... So, again, that is not keeping your basics, your fundamentals built up. You've got, instead of doing what's fun or what you like, or what all the people around you are doing, you need to do what your dog, what is necessary for your dog. So... If you have a dog that's very, very solid in one area and a little less solid in other areas, then the little less solid area gets a little bit more emphasis as you are designing up your days and weeks of training on fundamentals. The fundamentals, in my opinion, okay, I'm not speaking as the great world authority. I've just had a lot of experience and, and I think like I said a little while ago, I have, I'm up to 90 grandmasters. And, you know, master hunters and qualified olives, I got that stuff too. But I, I don't know why I've always, I haven't counted the four times and I've got literally dozens of those, but a, a lot of the grandmasters. So, um, building a dog up to that point is something that I've, I've spent a lot of time on. The fundamentals in doing that within my experience and opinion is one, you have to have a dog that one marks very well and does so with confidence. Okay. In other words, it's not like, yeah, whenever I set up the really long stuff, my dog's better than everybody, but short, eh, they kind of run around a little. Okay. That's not a strong marking dog. It doesn't, you know, if he gets to run a long ways 
Or some dogs are good short and they're not very good long. So marking means that the dog focuses, sits still, watches the bird go down, focuses on that area, understands the area of a fall, and is pretty darn good at getting out there and then believing that that's where it is and coming up with it. You don't get that by running triples and quads and hard doubles and all that kind of stuff. You get it by setting up very, very planned out marks that teach the dog how to focus and how to get good at finding a bird. So that's the first thing you do. So anybody that's out running big, huge sets of marks and stuff like that right now, you know, you might be doing that because you think you're getting ready. But if your dog doesn't mark one really well, they're not going to mark two, three or four really well. Matter of fact, that third or fourth one's going to be kind of like, uh, what? So working on marking, and if you don't, if somebody's new and they're listening to this, like, well, I don't know, how do you do that? Okay, you do it by doing it. Just like somebody that wants to go run an Ironman, you know, they've never ridden on a bike much. You got to get on a bike, right? Whether you're good, bad, have a cool bike, don't have a cool bike, you need to get on the bike and you need to get riding bikes so that you begin to learn that stuff. So if you need to, don't know how to set up challenging marks, you know, singles, tough marks, you know, dogs, ones that challenge your dog or ones that build their confidence, then go out and start setting up marks and watching. You will, that's, that's the best, as far as I'm concerned, only way really to learn how to set up marks. Not by watching other people who already been through this process, but by going, okay, I'll try this. And then you find out, well, that was way too easy, I guess. And then you try to do something different, and then the dog doesn't even know where to go, and you're going, okay, that's not good. Believe it or not, that's how you get good at setting up marks, by setting up marks. So if somebody else is doing it for you all the time, you aren't going to learn. And you can ask them all you want. Why would you put it there? What do you? But really, you've got to go do these things yourself. Um, even if you set up a mark that nobody else likes, I, what? I don't like that over there. It's like, well, then move your line or do something. I just want to see, I want to, people have to learn that. So you need to set up marks that teach them about marking and it with through practice, they get better and better. And they begin, particularly when you run mostly singles, they begin to look out there with a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to get where they need to get without getting in all kind of trouble teaching marking you don't hammer the dogs when you're teaching things you teach things if you set up a stupid mark and your dog got lost we do not punish the dog all right we don't set up a mark like that anymore and you have either your helper out there throwing or your winger do its little noise thing or something help them out and go again so have marking whether you're a beginner or real advanced you're never hurt by running all the marks as singles and letting the dog really focus, no head swinging, and also begin to gain a lot of confidence. That confidence is pretty priceless on game days, pretty priceless. So that's one thing that you need to do. And because every retriever test in the world has marking, marking should be a substantial part of your week. You don't have to do it every day. You know, if you did it at least three days a week, that'd be great. And if you're a onesie twosie, you got a couple of people and you got a couple of dogs, you know, you can in an hour, hour and a half, get all kinds of really good training done. That's one thing. Don't have to be working on the triples and the doubles and the quads and all that stuff. Get them marking really well. And all through the season, even when you're getting close to game day, game day, 
maintain that that thing where they focus strongly, they're not swinging their heads all over, and they look out at that bird and they're really good at getting to the area of the fall. That's something that you can work on and maintain all year long, including in right before game day. You know, that's what I like to do before we go to the Olympics, is remind them, look at that, you just never move your head, watch it, go, come back. Believe you can do this. That's one thing. Don't need to be doing the game day setups at all. And you know, if you're training with people that only do that, which a lot of people do, if they're going to go run a AKC Master Hunter or a, a, a finished uh, HRC test, or they're going to go run a master test in the APLA, then they set up master tests. I, and I never do that. <laughs> I never do that. I'm always working on something specific that I think that the dogs need and, and like and want to build up marking, focus, confidence. We want that. If any of those things slip, we have to simplify it, go back, and get them back. And it's not about counting to two or three or four. Now, the blind, handling and running blinds is another piece of this. And running blinds and handling is practical. Well, first, you got to have all the basics in there. You have to have the, does your dog go every time you send them? Do they stop quickly with urgency every time you blow the whistle? And do they take your best effort, give you their best effort to take a cast? Okay, if you have that, now we start working on blind setup. If you don't have that, do not start doing difficult blinds because you don't have the tools in your tool belt that you need to go build this awesome blind running handling dog. It is that simple. So if you break down and just look at your dog on the line, are you having a hard time getting them lined up straight? Are you fighting stuff there? If you're fighting stuff there, kind of make it hard to get a really good initial line. So make sure you have that. Make sure they go. Make sure they stop. Make sure they're not afraid. Do not make this the killing fields where if they do something wrong, because I know there's a whole teaching that people think, look at that, he didn't take my cast, and so they got electricity and all kinds of stuff. That wouldn't work with you, and it doesn't work with dogs. Make sure you have the tools, and that's yard work where you get the go and the stop, and at least take my cast. Doesn't have to be perfect, just give me effort. And when you have a dog that has those things, and again, those tools are not developed running blinds. Those tools are developed um, on your yard work, on your double T, on your pattern blinds. That's where they know I got to go and I got to stop. And I know we've practiced casting. I know the cast to take. And I have to at least give you good effort. Don't do any hard stuff until you have all that. Very simple. And it really is that simple. Even if you're going out with a big training group and they got this big old thing set up and all the cool people are doing it and the blind is really tight behind this and then you can smell the bird crate and then you got to, you know, tickle through this little thing. I mean, it, it would be so cool to be one of them, right? Not really. Because this, on game day, you want your dog to look out there and go, I got it, man. I'm going to go exactly where you point me and I'm going to run hard and I'm, we're going to do this blind. And you develop that. They have to have confidence and not by you trying to fit in with the cool kids, but you doing what's best for that dog. Maybe not, don't do the blind at all if it's one of those real tricky ones. Or move up. Or do, you know, don't, don't have to fall into doing the game day 
testing, you are doing foundation building and skill building. That's what you're doing. So don't do hard, tricky blinds until you can, you've got those fundamental tools. Then when you do have those fundamental tools, then you can begin to, um, begin to add, when, first be able to go do three or four cold blinds, nothing else out there. Three or four cold blinds. If your dog can't do three or four cold blinds well of varying length, so we don't always teach them, it only goes so far and you're done. Short and medium and long. And by long, guys, I'm talking 300 yards. If you have your dog run out there 300 yards hard and think that's cool. Then any blind you do in competition that's shorter than that going to be a much, much easier. But make sure you have your dog with you. They'll go do that. And if you've never done that or haven't done it in a long time, how do you know? Here you are setting up all the, doing all the stuff in the training day with everybody. So go out and make sure your dog does that. They should be pretty good at that. So when you can do that, add, begin to add complication. Begin to add gunning stations out there. Put up holding blinds. Put out a, a bucket of birds up where they can't get it. So they got to go downwind of that stuff. Begin to carefully and just a few things at a time add these eventual complications that is going to you know be something they're going to encounter on game day but if you do one or two at a time without people without guns going off without birds flying with all that stuff then they begin to one focus on what they're doing two trust you and have confidence in what they're doing you need that on game day so instead of practicing game day, which is just counterproductive, practice building up focus, confidence, and understanding in your dog by doing more simple things. Take the time. Um, it, that's how all the top athletes do it. That's how all the top sports teams do it. That's how all those phenomenal animals you see on game day. They did that. They weren't out having game days all year long, so this on game day was another one for them. You build up those foundations. Now we have, and, and once you get those things, you can begin to put them together in your training days. You can begin to have your blinds mixed in with your marks, do them all at the same time. Just make sure that your fundamentals are all there before you do it. Because if you go out and run a double blind up between the three marks and your dog is on the second one running all over and tuning you out, okay, you weren't there yet. You're going to have to start doing some things and go back and teach your dog how to deal with doing things repetitively and doing them even though there are things which are distracting to them out there. Easiest on the dog, easiest on you. And there's no heavy, heavy pressure. There's just time and dedication to doing this. Now, on the upland side of this, for those who do that, and I don't care whether you're a pointing dog or a flushing dog, because I know some of the, a lot of the retriever vents, or at least HRC has ones where they do flushing stuff. I've even done it in a Master Hunter. You had to walk up, walk up to the marks in an AKC Master Hunter, and a bird was going to flush out, and you had to be steady to wing a shot. So they did a little bit <laughs> of that. <laughs> I've only done that once in 30 years, but anyway, we did have it one time. So when you're going to do the upland stuff, all right, now we have, how do you keep them on game day thing like that? Again, I, I'm going to say the same thing. The fundamentals, and not, let's talk right now. Well, I don't care, flushing and pointing. The fundamentals are your dog is working with you. 
If your dog runs out into the field and just takes off looking for birds or chasing them, okay, you're, you are, and that is not, that's not good. That's not a finished dog. You know, you're out in the pointing stuff. And if you're doing the flushing stuff, the birds are all flying away and everybody wants you to take your dog and go home. So you have to have, when you're going to do competitive upland stuff, you have to have a dog who is with you. Team player. So they know, you know, i got to stay with you in the field. I've got to do this work for you. If it's a flushing dog, then they can't be out of, out of a gun range, right? They just can't be. And for me, in my pointing dogs, in competition, I like to keep them gun rangey. And I like them to believe they need to stay there. That way I can see if there's something, you know, in, comp on, in competition. Now, as a handler, if I saw some, some chucker all covered up somewhere and my dog is close enough that I see when they do one more big sweep there, they're going to come up upwind of those guys and there's six of them are going to fly up. All right, I'm going to go another direction. I'm going to change things around. I need that dog, one, paying attention to me and very willing to move another direction with me. Okay, so I keep them that way all the time. Not over-controlled. I mean, generally, I don't make much of a sound. Usually, if I just move, they go with me. But if I make a little hop or a tweet-tweet, they're going to go my direction. You, that's important, particularly you pointing guys. Um, now, when you have a really, really good pointing dog, again, and I, there's trainers that disagree with me on this, because I like passing every single time in competitive events, I still am going to keep the dog so that I can, to the best of my ability, see what's happening and be able to get out of a bad situation if it's going to happen. So I keep them within that kind of a range. So they have to do that. If any bird flies up, this goes for every, as far as I'm concerned, upland dog in the world, when some bird flies up, they are not to go after it. There is no place where that is good. If it's, if it's one that's somebody shot, then you can send them if you need to. But just to chase any bird, if you're hunting wild birds and a hen flies up, your dog takes off after it and goes to the next county. There's no usefulness in that. If a hen flies up and your dog stops and goes, whoop, no one's shooting it, I guess I don't get it. So you have to practice these field fundamentals before you do any competitive stuff. It just seems so obvious to me. You know, people go out there and just hanging on for dear life sometimes because they don't have these fundamentals here. So those things are easy to work on. Walking through the field, staying with me, changing direction, bird flies up, you don't move. Um, the whole de-chase thing. And, and, and a, forcing them to sit when they want to chase is not a de-chase dog. It's a dog that is being forced to sit when it wants to chase. A dog that understands it cannot chase and doesn't need to be sat to do it, is a de-chase dog. So that is something that people can, uh, that you is very good to get. That way in, in the field, if you get an inadvertent bump or your judge steps on one or something and your dog sees it fly up, they're just waiting to see what happens. Nothing, so they keep going. So that's a fundamental that can be worked on all the time. For the flushing dogs, if you want steady to the flush, then it's very easy to teach a bird not in the field, but out somewhere work. You can start with a bumper. Teach him that when you see something flying in the air, um, you sit down. Or if you see something flying through the air and the gun, a gun goes off, you sit down. 
and you can do that with a drill. You can do that with a drill with wingers. You can do it, I've done it in many times, with a bumper and a pistol in my hand. And we're just walking along, and as soon as that thing, the dog sees it in the air, I shoot, and then I enforce a sit. So anytime a bird is, a gun goes off, and a bird is involved, you sit down. So you can teach that, not in the field, so you make finding that bird become a problem, but in your regular drills. And then you go out in the field, and they're all excited, but they're out of habit. You've got this conditioned response, and you can just shore it up and have it going out there. For the pointing guys, there is no downside to working your woe stuff. But here's the thing that seems to be kind of difficult for people that don't have the luxury of a lot of birds around them. Because your dog will stand in the yard or the backyard or the park or whatever and just stand there when you say woe and not move does not mean your dog is woe broken. Woe needs to mean you're done no matter what on earth happens. So when gun goes off, you can't move. When people go running by screaming, you can't move. When the bird pops up and runs, you can't move. When the bird flushes up and gets shot, you can't move. And so your woe stuff, which should be slow and easy and all through the time, with increasing temptations, right, teach them no matter what you still got to stand still that's why when I had a bird pen when I got far enough along I take them in there I would take the birds the dog into with the bird pen and of course you know in the beginning they're like holy cow um they just can't believe it even though I've done some stuff with some dead birds or maybe even a live bird outside when you go in there it's just the mother load of birds and you get them to fly around and walk around and you got to know they're going to stay there but that isn't enough and this is important to those of you into really finishing this thing off. When they go into the bird pen and keep looking at the birds and they, they'll pick one out. And if you just bring some birds up on a string to them so they can't fly away. And they'll pick one out and go, oh, I like that little chubby one. All right? That's a dog that's still picking the bird it wants to go get. And so... That's a dog that out in the field, no collar on and everything else, and that bird pops up, they're going, I think I'll get this one. You have to erase that thought from their mind as well. And you don't do it through pressure. You do it through repetition. So some of the, a lot of the four times that I've made, if you, after they're four times and, you know, they're, we're just doing a woe thing and you go in the bird pen, oh, you'd think, I mean, they just run up to the pen. They just run up to the door. Let me in, let me in, because they love birds, right? And when you get in there, then they just stand there, and their shoulders are drooped, and their heads droop down, and they're not looking at anything. There we go. That dog knows there's none of these are yours. No matter what, they can walk up, and I've had them fly and hit them in the head and hit them on the shoulder and all that stuff. Sometimes when you have the blinders on the pheasant, they walk right up into them or walk under their legs or something. And you can get them to the point where they're going, I, not my bird. It, there's just no thought. It isn't that they're going, I can't get that. I'll get in terrible trouble. They're not thinking that. They're just going, hmm, here we are. That's all they're thinking. And that's what you want the upland feel. That So no matter what happens out there, no matter what the birds do or your gunner might, you know, something else, shoot. You can even, you know, if they kind of flush it in your dog's direction, which is a no-no and you never want, 
It's like a, they've had that happen 50 times already, so they're not going to just necessarily reach up there and grab it, which is, you know, a lot of them would do. So those fundamentals are not done in the field, and those things should just be worked on. Not make sure you don't bore the dog to death by working on the same thing, same way all the time, because then they, you lose the condition response you want. But you collectively, all these things, put it together. Some days you do some casting. You make it interesting. Some days you do some roll stuff. You can always, you know, find the one thing that's going to make them break. One of the things, and it's silly. You know, it's just silly. And I don't have this in my book at all. But, like, I'll, the, whoever the lady of the house who kind of feeds and is kind of spoils the dog a little bit, and, and the, the dog's on wool, I'll have her go over there and get down on her hands and knees and, like, pat her thighs or pat her chest and go, Come here, baby. <laughs> Now, come here, baby, is not a command, right? And when they break, then they get corrected. So you do the thing which is so tempting to the dog. I'll put my hand down like I'm sending them on a mark or a blind and say, get it. And if they take off, it's like, let's get it. You can't, I didn't say back or your name, so you don't get to get it. So you teach them when they go and, whoa, they just shut off. They're not fear. It's not anything else. It's just empty. When I go on point, I'm done. I'm just done. And I'm not going to be thinking about what I'd really like to do. And that's a time-dependent thing. And you can easily, by making it not boring, increasing the stuff, you can get them where we'll find, when you do get closer to game day and stuff like that, and you're out in the upland field, one, you probably aren't going to ever have to say anything because their mind's going to shut off when they go on point on that stuff. And then when the bird flies, they're not supposed to go. All of that comes around, not from being in the upland field. You do want to be in the upland field. Uh, you know, and with dogs already trained, generally I would say once a week is pretty good if you have that luxury. doesn't have to be a ton of birds, but if you take them out on a few birds once a week, they practice moving through different fields, encountering different terrain, different scents, di different bird behaviors. Don't put the birds down hard. Use different cover. Go do it on alfalfa. First time you ever do that, your dog won't even find the birds. So there's so many ways where you can use your upland time, if you have your fundamentals, to teach them about bird finding and how all the factors that they're going to encounter. The more they experience and know, the better for you on game day. So every now and then, so you're working on fundamentals all the time. So your dog, one, doesn't ever go out there and go, oh, God, I hope I don't get in trouble today. You've taken that out of it. They're not gonna, there's not big heavy pressure getting after them, none of that stuff. Today we're going to be working on uh, tight marks, three singles. They're just close, and they just do one at a time. And if you need, you know, you, if you have to handle, you can, or have your gunner help. A lot of times, if you handle a lot, you can create a dependency on that. So, you know, if you're handling a lot, maybe don't make the marks too hard. Get the dog where it has a little bit more confidence. But all of this is premised on you looking at your dogs and seeing where their little weak spots are and where their strengths are and adjusting what you do to that. It's not about what the training group thinks we should be doing and what, you know, take their setups. If you have a training group and they're really into doubles and triples and quads, you can do all those things as single. You can take the peer pressure of everybody telling you, you know, you should be doing this or that. Doing what is best for your dog to slowly build the fundamentals. So, Almost all the way to game day, that's kind of what you do every now and then so that you know, and it depends on the dog. 
every now and then you got three marks out there uh, you can do a double and a single or you can do a triple vary it a little bit but don't do it super often you just want to make sure that they know sometimes you sit and wait and more birds are going to go down and you got to focus you got to have a little bit of that so they have confidence with that and so you have confidence in that and so you two trust one another when you're doing this if you're all nervous and scared because the training group is expecting you to do something that's going to transfer your dog probably things are going to blow up and it's all because you're all nervous instead of going all right we're working on this today and have a lot of confidence so it's important that you do that same thing on that so retrieving is always good there's so many things you can work on in that running blinds is always good always good and there's so many things you can get to very challenging things over time so your dog can handle the simplicity of what you're doing but you're building those fundamentals up so strongly so that before game day, the big, when the big show comes, you practice a little bit, mostly for you, the handler, you know, getting ready to run a, a delayed triple with a double blind up the middle and a diversion or a poison bird blind or whatever kind of stuff you have. Walk-ups, practice walk-ups. Easy to do with single marks, right? Very easy to do. Um, practice all those things broken apart. And then when you get closer to the big show, you put a few of those things together so that you're comfortable and the dog is comfortable. They don't, aren't going to be thinking all the crazy stuff you are. So you don't need to worry as much about that. Have those fundamental tools. Have confidence. So that then, <laughs> no matter what they throw you at the big game, at the big show, right? No matter what they throw you, it's just some compilation of all the fundamentals that you worked on. And you're comfortable and your dog's comfortable and you can do it. So that's my advice for, uh, you don't keep your dog at, at, you know, game day deal. You just do not, it's just too hard because they're going to start getting head swinging. They're going to start maybe getting voice, making voices because they're so excited because there's always so much action and so many birds going down and so much stuff. Ah, and they get like that. Don't ever let that happen particularly those of you with kind of wild and crazy dogs. Keep them where that it, they're pretty calm about that stuff. Pay attention to the little details. Do they come back in and sit squarely every time on a retreat? Do they hand me the bird or do we have issues? If you have issues there, address that elsewhere and come back there and fix those little things. So that on game day, you're going, all right, it seems like I've done everything I can. You know, and this dog really trusts me and believes in me. And then when you do go to game day, and I'll, I'll have game, another game day podcast on this. When you do go to game day and you've done all this stuff, all you have to do, no matter what they have out there, some big old gnarly, hairy, scary thing that you've never done before. I was like, you've ne I don't care. You've never done it before. I've been in this position so many times. I break it down. If there's three birds out there, I break it down to three singles. And then after I get those three singles done, then I have these two blinds that I'm going to do. And I keep that in my head that way instead of going, oh, God, they're all going over there and the wind's blowing this. And then I, I don't think about that. I mean, I'm aware of what dogs in front of me have done, so I am prepared in case my dog wants to break hard right because they smell something that I don't want them to go get. I'll be ready for that. 
but I just break it down so in my mind all I'm doing is this blind. And we need to go here, we need to be on the right side of this thing and the left side of that thing and they got to get in the water right over there. And if I just keep it like it's just me out on a date doing this all by myself with my dog, that's the best mindset for me. And then my dog tends to adapt that same mindset. So just do things broken down into the pieces. Keep them that way in your mind. Don't be thinking triple, double, blind diversion. Don't be thinking that. Just think about it on the most simplistic level because that's how your dog does. And you will have a much better time in training and in competition. So pretty long podcast for just one topic. Um, but it's an important one for everybody that's got a lot of plans this year. So I hope that's helpful. Um, hoping that spring gets here so those of us in the colder places can hurry up and get busy on the serious stuff. And I hope everybody stays healthy and happy, and I will be back soon.